Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Alexis Madrigal. Every morning, right after I finish breakfast, I immediately begin dreading packing my daughter's lunch. Lately, I've been on a bagel and cream cheese kick, and I feel guilty for it because I know there's a more nutritious go-to. In the next hour, we're going to get creative ideas from well-known chefs. We'll learn about foods that kids will love and will leave parents feeling good knowing the ingredients pack a healthy punch. We also want to hear your tips. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Alexis Madrigal. During this hour, we are discussing school lunch. I was one of those kids that drooled over my classmates' bologna and American cheese sandwiches. I so desperately wanted a bag of Cheetos or a Capri Sun. Instead, I always kind of sheepishly pulled out my Tupperware filled with leftovers. Little did I know that my mom was way ahead of her time. Bento boxes filled with a wide range of foods are all the rage now. So for this installment of All You Can Eat, our regular food series about Bay Area's food cultures with food editor Luke Tsai, we're going to hear a wide range of very creative ideas for how to fill those little squares. And I promise you, you won't dread packing your kids' lunch after this show. To start us off, we are joined by Luke Tsai. Again, he's a food editor with KQED Arts and Culture. And chef J. Kenji Lopez-Alt. He's a cookbook author, children's book author, a New York Times columnist. And he's also the host of Kenji's cooking show on YouTube. His books include The Food Lab, The Walk, Recipe and Techniques, and Every Night is Pizza Night. Welcome to both of you. I would love to uh, hear, uh, what did your mom or dad, whoever was packing your lunch, what, what did they put in your lunch, Kenji? <laughs> um, well, I, I I participated in our school lunch program, so it was always a uh, it was always either you know the salad bar or the hot food line. So no, I didn't. We didn't really have um, bento or you know bento growing up. It wasn't really part of my house. The, the, the most we did was when we went on sort of family road trips. Uh, my grandmother would pack a Tupperware full of uh, onigiri, which are you know, omusubi. They're like r- rice balls that have a little bit of a uh, stuffing inside. Usually, she would put Japanese pickled plums, and then separately you'd have a little pack of uh seaweed nori that you'd then kind of wrap it with but you know that that's one of the oldest oldest forms of bento like this predates all modern bento that the 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 idea of putting rice balls into a sort of bamboo container that you keep on your hip is sort of like a snack for the road uh goes back several hundred years to um in, in japanese culture 
Beautiful memory. Uh, Luke, what about you? Do you have a memory of what you used to eat growing up? You know, I I think um, I would have just sort of like the most generic, boring um, brown bag lunches. Um, and it was it was by choice. You know, um, I think, uh, you know, I was so um, afraid of sticking out, you know, that I was very insistent, you know, uh, with my mom, you know, who was packing my lunch, that she not bring anything, uh, pack anything Chinese um, or anything, quote unquote, ethnic, you know. Um, and I think, there, you know, there's a lot sort of made now about people who sort of, sort of mocked um, for the foods that they brought when they were kids. And I don't know that that actually ever happened to me. Um, you know, I, I like people certainly may have picked on me for various things, but I don't remember anyone ever making fun of my lunch. Um, but I think it was just one of those things where I just didn't want to attract any attention, <laughs> positive or negative, um, for that. And so I would just have like the blandest, like roast beef sandwich. I don't even know if I liked them, you know, but that that's what <laughs> I would request. Um, and a bag of chips, you know, and a, and a juice box or something. Um, and that was it, you know, and so um, I, I think, you know, probably very similar to how, how a lot of our listeners may have grown up. Why do you I, think- I feel like that idea of, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, please go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to say that that idea of not attracting attention. Like, I feel like that's probably a feeling that's very familiar to a lot of sort of second generation Asian Americans. It was very, you know, it was very impressed on me by my mother. Like, no, like, don't stand out. Like, you do what you're supposed to do. Don't try and attract attention, good or bad. And that seems to have really changed, correct? Because today it's all the rage. So what what do you think, Kenji, sort of changed that, especially for Asian Americans? Um, well, first of all, I think there has been a, a much bigger sort of acceptance and understanding uh, and celebration of Asian American uh, and Asian cuisines. Um, so, you know, when, when I was a kid, I think mainly like if you were in New York, mainly you were getting Chinese American and some Cantonese food, maybe some food from Hong Kong. Um, but now you have um, regional Chinese foods. You have you have um, a lot of Thai food. You have foods from all over East Asia. And I think people generally have a better understanding of it um, in the U.S. now, better access to ingredients. Uh, and so now it's like kind of, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of like cool. You know, it's not <laughs> it's not different anymore. It's, it's, it's kind of desirable. Luke, do you think there's more of like a cultural confidence in the kids that are coming to school today and they're they're more proud to have sort of their roots on, on in front of them while they're you know dining at lunch? Yeah, you know, like, I think, um, you know, and, and I should preface this by saying, you know, like, I remember when I was a kid, there was like one time where, where it was like a special like cultural day or something. And my mom packed like, I remember it was like egg custard tarts or um, curry beef puffs. Um, but I remember like the reaction was actually positive, you know, so I think mm. some of the like fear was just like in my own head, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but my kids have also never gone to um, a majority or or, or or schools where um, kids of color are like a small minority, you know, they've mm. primarily gone to schools where like 90% of the other students are Latino. And so um, kids are bringing in, you know, kids would bring in like a, a tamales for their lunch or kids would bring in like a burrito for lunch. So like if my kids had like leftover noodles or um, if if they had like some, you know, fried rice or something like that, no, no one would blink an eye. Like, I just don't think it's been an issue at all. Um, I'd be curious to hear from listeners actually um, who do go to like different kinds of schools, you know, maybe out in the suburbs or maybe where there aren't as many 
um, folks of color, if that's also changed in those places. But I think what Kenji said is right. I think that um, especially here in the Bay Area, um, people are just so much um, more accepting of different kinds of foods. And I think kids are exposed to all different kinds of foods at a much earlier age now. Um, so I do think that's a difference from, say, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Cultural awareness and cultural um, acceptance and the celebration of cultural differences, um, I find at least uh, in places where, you know, I live in Seattle now, um, at least around here, that's also sort of a very large part of the school curriculum and especially part of the uh, the lower school curriculum. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just become sort of part, part of the cultural language, which I think, at least around here, which I think is wonderful. Kenji, what are some of your your favorites? It seems like you know nutrition and color is is a little more accepted. People aren't reaching for Cheetos and, right. and Capri Suns as may, or maybe they would, but but somehow we're getting these kids to eat more nutritious options. What are some of your favorites? Well, you know, whether I'm serving you know Japanese food, I'm, I'm, my background is Japanese, but whether I'm serving Japanese food or Western food or anything, I, I tend to try and follow the same sort of principles that um, I learned um, about designing sort of a Japanese style bento, which is. You really want to focus on one main thing and then a bunch of sort of raw or or leftovers to fill out the side compartments. And you really want to focus on kind of a rainbow of colors. So as long as you're looking down there and you see a rainbow of colors, I think you're in, you're headed in the right direction nutritionally. So our, my daughter's absolute favorite is a dish called sanshokudon, which is uh, it means three color rice bowls. Um, it's essentially rice as the base. Uh, and then there's a very simple stir fry of ground meat. Usually I'll use ground turkey or ground pork um, seasoned with a little soy sauce and sake and mirin. Uh, and then a green vegetable, usually it's just frozen peas, uh, and then a section of scrambled eggs on top of it. So it's three different colors on top of rice. And then I'll fill out the rest of the um, of the container with um, either some kind of raw vegetable. So it might be cucumber sticks or maybe some cherry tomatoes, uh, one raw fruit, uh, and then like a little bit of a little bit of a treat at the end. So is she eating the rice and the meat and the eggs cold? Uh, so I do it the Japanese way, which is I I pack it warm and it's eaten at room temperature. And I know some people are a little going to be a little bit squeamish about that. Um, and I know it probably does not follow the, um, you know, the government recommended food safety gu guidelines. <laughs> um, but what I do is I, I get it piping hot. You know, the hot components I get piping hot inside the bento container uh, in the morning, and then I seal it while it's hot. And then by the time she eats it at lunch, you know, a few hours later, it you know it hasn't really been in that you know that what they call that danger zone um, where it's supposed to stay less than four hours in that zone. Generally, it hasn't even been in that zone for that long, so I'm not too uh, I'm not too worried about it. Uh, but yeah, by the time it cools down, uh, she's eating it. And you know, but I, I find that hot foods, hot foods that cool cool down to room temperature taste a lot better than hot foods that warm up from the fridge to room temperature. There's something about the texture, mm. like the rice, um, the rice softens up when you heat it up and it doesn't get hard again the way it does in the fridge. That's fascinating. Okay, but I'm going to drill down a little bit more on this. Are you making this meat and these eggs in the morning as you're trying to juggle <laughs> getting out the door? <laughs> Typically not. Um, so, sometimes if I really am feeling ambitious, no, but almost almost all of it is stuff that I've made the, the day before. Sometimes I'll make like a big batch of that particular meat mixture and it lasts for a week or so in the fridge. And so she'll have it a couple times over the week because she loves it. Uh, but typically, you know, the scrambled eggs, what I'll do is I'll make scrambled eggs for the kids in the morning and then I'll just make a little bit extra and that goes into the that goes onto the, the lunch on top. Um, I do pack it in the morning. Um, if my wife is doing it, she likes to pack the night before, but I prefer packing it fresh in the morning. Okay, so what about picky eaters? You you wrote a whole book, a children's <laughs> book dedicated to kids who want to eat pizza, which is definitely my daughter. I think she would love to just dine on pepperoni pizza all the time. So, so how do we inspire our picky eaters to, to branch out? 
Well, it's funny. So my daughter is honestly like the least, the least picky eater, but my son, who's two years old now, is uh, sort of the opposite. He eats mo- mainly carbs, you know. Um, you know, our philosophy is keep good choices around the house, pre- present them with good choices at every meal, uh, and, um, you know, don't pressure them. So if, if they say, you know, our, our big thing is if you, you know, if you don't like it, um, that's not forever. You know, it's like if it's if my daughter says today, hey, I don't I don't really like this broccoli today or I don't feel like eating this broccoli. We'll say, OK, yeah, that's fine. Like you don't like it today. Maybe you'll maybe you'll like it tomorrow. And she you know, that's something that she picks up on, you know, so she'll also say uh, today I don't like this, but maybe I'll like it later. And so I think the idea of always being open to changing, whether it's something that you love that you might not like in the future or something that you en- don't enjoy that you might like in the future, the idea that like your food choices aren't a set in stone part of your personality and that you should always be sort of working on them, uh, I think uh, goes a long way in doing that. And of course, setting a good example as well. So you eat well. Um, I mean, I eat much better now that I have kids just because we only keep mainly healthy foods around the house. Um, but, you know, you find if you, the, the more you present them with choices uh, and the more you sort of repeatedly re- present them with a wide variety of choices, sort of the broader their tastes uh, tend to become. And of course, I'm I'm saying that uh, knowing full well that there are, of course, kids that are just picky and, uh, you know, you you kind of have to roll with it. Uh, you can't really control uh, control other people. <laughs> I love that you eat better now. I, I haven't thought I, maybe I can eat better now. I think of myself eating, but now I eat like a four year old. <laughs> well, thank you so much uh, for joining us, Kenji. Uh, well, I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in for Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for Forum after this break. Again, we're talking about how to pack a better school lunch. Uh, Kenji is going to leave us now, but we have two excellent additional guests that are going to join us. Uh, Stay with us, and we want to hear from you. What are your best tips for assembling a school lunch that your kids will eat? What are some foods you feel good about putting in your school lunch for your kids? Maybe you have a decorative approach that you can share with us. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can email your comments or questions to forum at kqed.org. Or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at kqed. Or excuse me, we're at KQED Forum. Stay with us. We will be right back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Alexis Madrigal. And we're talking about how to pack a better school lunch. By tomorrow, you will not dread packing your child's lunch. We're joined by Luke Tsai. He's a food editor with KQED Arts and Culture. Nami Chen, she's founder and CEO of Just One Cookbook, 
a website and a video series focused on Japanese cooking, and Monique Febes. She's a chef and owner of Tarts de, Feb- de Febes. And earlier we were joined by J. Kenji Lopez-Alt. We had to say goodbye to him, but now we are joined by Nami and Monique, and I'd like to start with the same question. Uh, Monique, what memories do you have of packing lunch or eating lunch growing up? So I grew up in um, a household with three other sisters, so we had a large family. Um, so my my memories are of all of us, you know, just having the same kind of bento lunch, right? My my parents would always pack us like leftovers from the night before, whether it's a stew or a soup, and then we had the luxury of just heating it up at school. So those are my you know my earliest memories. You know, I was. Um, one of three Asians in my class. And so I'd always have like this odd lunch, but I absolutely loved it. And I was always excited to speak about it uh, with my friends growing up. So that was a huge part of it for me. And Nami, what about you? So I grew up in Japan. So my uh, elementary school, I had a school lunch, but from middle school, uh, I had a you know typical Japanese bento lunch, and my 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 mom was making it for us. But then she kind of introduced how to pack bento. So I was actually making bento from pretty early on, like maybe around the middle school, and then all the way to college, um, just packing the lunch from the leftover. And sometimes we make some dishes in the morning, and we we pack and. That's how I uh, brought my lunch to school. You know, we're talking about these bento boxes as if everyone has them, but I'm realizing maybe we should do a a brief description. Nami, what is a bento box and and, and how did they originate? How do they sort of originate from Japan? How did they get here? How did it become all the rage? I think um, bento is a really big part of Japanese culture. Um, It's, we brought... Um, I think it started from like just making a rice bowl. It's called onigiri. Um, back then, we um, people make rice balls and bring it to. It's a portable lunch, but then it evolved into kind of like a put all the dish in the box, and then we bring it to school. We bring it to office. It's a really big part of um, the Japanese cuisine. And then since everybody brought those. You know, lunchbox to school. We feel very nostalgic about it, even when we become, you know, older. And then it's ingrained as like a part of daily life because it's it's really like an everyday thing. I also find, I mean, I have a four-year-old and I find it just so much easier because when you open it, it's got these little squares. It sort of inspires me to put something in those little squares. And I have to admit now that's how I bring my own lunch because it's just kind of much easier than putting a bunch of stuff in a bunch of different plastic bags and trying to keep that organized. So I find it aesthetically easier to do quicker. Monique, do you see any other sort of benefits or or sort of why it would have become such a rage? Yeah, definitely. I think it's just easier in general, um, just like you said. And another point, my kid, I don't know about everyone else's, but he doesn't really like when other things are touching. So for example, if I have fruit and then I have a stew, I'm pretty sure he's going to want that you know, separated from each other. He's kind of picky in that way. Uh, Maybe not towards what it is in general, but he just doesn't like things touching. So uh, again, aesthetics here. 
I guess one final plug too. I imagine it's you know better to cut down on waste, right? We're not filling all those plastic bags like like we were when I was growing up. Um, Monique, uh, kind of all the rage on social media right now are these foods that look like things. So the quesadillas that are cut into animal shapes, that kind of thing. Um, do you do you recommend parents try to take this on to inspire their kids to eat? You know, I always recommend to parents. You know, we're not school lunches aren't there to make your life harder. You know, if I personally don't have time to make quesadillas uh, look like pigs or things like that, I try and focus on the quality of it and the variety that um, can bring to the table and the nutrition as well. So sometimes I would like to, you know, make things fun. Sometimes I, I do cut up watermelon, maybe in a nice shape or something like that. But I think that's the max that I personally do. Luke, do you have any, you know, kind of favorites that you put in your kids' lunches that are that are either fun or things that you've just found that are very successful to get your kids to eat something healthy and nutritious? Yeah, well, I, you know, I just want to sort of back up and say, you know, just talking about this idea of um, bentos and people making it beautiful and turning into characters and all this sort of thing, that there is this sort of like aspirational aspect of it that I think has been driven by social media, you know, Um, and I think definitely, like, that's something that we've just seen in the past few years where you have um you know like maybe certain instagram accounts where like that's literally what they do like every day they post like this beautiful amazing you know like box that looks like it's alive you know and like um i just think there is so much pressure and guilt around um parenting in general right um and also around you know packing lunch how you feed your kids and i just hope that like this segment doesn't feed into that, like the sort of guilt aspect of it or the aspirational aspect of it. Um, I think the overall context of this conversation is like school lunch, like in the US, I feel like is just so broken in a lot of ways. You know, like I think like not only is the food that's being served at a lot of schools just like bad, like unhealthy, unappetizing, um, but it's also like a lot of schools, they have like 20 or 30 minutes to eat lunch, you know, like 30 minutes if they're lucky. Um, And it's just like, it's, it's like, I hear about kids, like things like in France or in Europe or in Asia, where kids have like a full hour, or sometimes they can even like get sent home to have lunch with their families. And then like everybody goes back to school after that. And I feel like our way of doing it is just so broken and so rushed um, that I feel like, you know, parents generally are doing their best. So I want to like put that message out there. Like if, you know, I come from the leftover school of thought of, of um, school lunch. So, so like very rarely will I actually make anything um, fresh. Um, It's just like, whatever we have, I'll stick it in a box. Um, And I feel like that should be okay. I think even like the crackers with fruit and cheese, like my kids call that the picnic lunch. And that's like their favorite thing, you know, like maybe you have some cucumbers in there. You have like a good block of cheese, um, maybe a hunk of bread if you have it. Like, I feel like there's nothing wrong with that either. Like it doesn't have to be this elaborate thing. So I think like, I just want to stress that because I don't want people to like listen to the segment and start stressing out. Like they, they need to like, perform these like beautiful bentos for their kids. 
Just to step back there and, and address the sort of cultural part of it, Monique, your husband is French. So what do you have to say about the longer lunch and the kids that apparently eat everything is what we hear about kids in France? Yeah, well, I I mean, they're introduced to it um, from what from what I know from my husband. My, my husband um, is French, and he was telling me that in their school, public school um, or private, uh, they would actually sit down, have almost a three-course meal with ceramics, with porcelain, with you know, fork and knife, and they'd sit down with each other at actual tables. Um, so, you know, growing up, my kids growing up in in a multicultural family, I think it's really important for them to know the benefits of both worlds. And 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 here we're in America, we're pretty much trying to, um, you know, benefit from both worlds, right? So, I think again, the quality is key and kind of getting kids excited about what's to come and and going with them to the grocery store, getting them excited about, hey, what do you want for lunch this week? And have and letting them actually have a choice from maybe I whatever I cook for the week or giving those for the leftovers. I think that plays a really important part in choosing what I do for lunch. Well, Ren writes, I've been packing lunches for my kids since they were in preschool. They're now in middle school and high school. And the pattern that has always worked for me is a homemade lunchable style bento, which we've heard several times. So they often get cheese and crackers, a quesadilla, a sandwich, dried fruit tucked into the corner of the box. I use silicone cupcake wrappers to divide the box up as needed. Since the pandemic, I pack fewer lunches because the kids are more willing to try school lunches. And I was more willing to let them try because school lunch is free for all kids now. I learned from a colleague of mine this morning that at her school, you can't bring chips and you can't bring juice. You must put water in those uh, water bottles. So that is very different than than when I was growing up. We want to hear from you. Again, we're talking about how to pack a better school lunch. What are your best tips for assembling a school lunch? What are some foods that you feel good about putting in a school lunch? Maybe what memories do you have of of your school lunch growing up? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, that's 866-733-6786. Or you can email your comments comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. And again, another listener writes, I think this is really interesting. Uh, My seven and a half year old is currently being assessed for a couple different neurodiversity possibilities. He seems to need to have the exact same lunch every day as part of maintaining consistency through the challenges of the school day. So sunflower butter and jam on wheat is what he gets every day. At least it's quick and no decisions are necessary. I haven't thought about that. That's a good idea. Uh, Nami, do you have kind of a go-to or any favorites that you really feel like work? Um, I usually prepare all the food ahead of time. So we, I freeze everything, like leftovers, or when I have extra time, I cook some of the dishes. And one of the favorites are like a chicken katsu or something like a deep fried or baked so that I can pre-portion ahead of time and then pack into the freezer. So whenever I need it, I just take it out and pack. That works really well for me. So I have a lot of foods store in the freezer so that I don't get stressed out in the morning. Like I just, you know, kind of like a buffet style. I go into the freezer and find something that I need to pack and then just, you know, start reheating and pack in the morning. And do you set aside some time during the week to fill the freezer or is all of that just leftovers? Do you try to make a little more each night for dinner that you can put in the freezer to to use for lunches? Yeah, that's what I normally do. I try to think that make extra for bento. That's always in my mind. 
So more than like we have a family of four, but I try to cook five or six just in case um, I can pack some for the bento for the future. Luke, what about, do you have any ideas for making, you know, lunch, you know, for say, say someone who's not of, of Asian heritage, but any cultural foods that you could, I could start sneaking into my daughter's lunch? <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think there, there are so many things, you know, like, I think, um, like, you know, I come from an Asian background. So like, I think a lot of those rice based things um, that, that we've been talking about, whether it be onigiri um, or Korean kimbap, um, like spam wasubi, you know, like, uh, like all those things are like perfect handheld foods that are meant to be eaten at room temperature anyway. Um, you know, I think cold noodles, um, make for a great lunch. Um, but then I think if, if you're, um, going out of, um, like a Asia, I mean, I think, um, you know, like, you know, my, my kids are strange in that, like, they really don't mind eating cold things, you know, and in fact, they often seem to really prefer it, like things that are meant to be hot, that are cold. So like, they don't like if they have if if they have like a leftover taco, or something like that, th that that's like half eaten, and like, now needs to be like, like basically eaten with a like with a fork um and knife um they'll 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 eat the heck out of that um the next day so i just feel like um like any kind of leftover um can work really well like like a classic japanese thing um like is um tonkatsu you know which is like these breaded fried um pork cutlets um that's uh one of like like the hits around our house. Um, I use Kenji's recipe actually for tonkatsu. Um, and I always have extra leftover. Um, and it's one of those things that tastes um, still good when it's like cold, I think cause it's like pretty strongly seasoned. Um, so even when it's cold or at room temperature, like it still tastes good. And so if you have like a little bit of rice um, and some like pickles maybe, um, and you have some of these like leftover, um, pork cutlets, like that's an amazing lunch. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it can be really anything. Monique, what do you think about temperature? Like, should I strive to make sure that everything is, is hot and use thermoses, et cetera? Or, or do you agree with Luke that, you know, kids can eat when it's cold and that's fine? Kids can eat when whatever's cold. I mean, for the most part, my son, he eats room temperature food. Um, but there are some days where we have soup. And so I do have, you know, the Bentgo brand thermos. And so what I'll do is I'll have our leftover soup all reheated in the morning, then boil, boil it and then pour it back into the thermos. And by the time it's lunchtime, it's a perfect temperature for him. And he's all about that. There's this Filipino soup that he absolutely loves. It's called tinola, chicken tinola, and, um, you know, it reheats very well in there. We just pack him that, maybe a little slice of cake that we had left over, and then um, some utensils, and then he's ready to go for lunch. Okay, on that note, dessert. Should should That moment, I'm always like, <laughs> should I put the fruit roll up in there? Should I put a piece of cake in there? Because I know that's where she's going to start her lunch. I have a, Again, I have a four-year-old. I do. It's all about portion control, right? So I'm not going to pack him a huge... That's why I'm so thankful for the bent goes itself. It's almost like you're forced to do a portion control. And those and those squares are, are pretty small. And, and you have to be 
quite aware of their ages here. You know, my my son is six. There's he shouldn't be eating a huge slice of cake. So I like make it super small, or maybe a little viennoiserie that we have around the house. I mean, we're lucky. I have a bakery, so I always tend to have something left over there.、Um, but yes, I I tend to always put something in their sweet. That way, he's excited when he starts eating and excited after he eats as well. Well, let's go to a caller,、uh, Jennifer in San Francisco. You're on the air, Jennifer. Hi, I was fortunate to grow up in Louisiana, and we had、uh, red beans and rice on Monday, fried chicken on Tuesday, shrimp étouffée, and gumbo because our lunch ladies had the freedom and the ingredients to be able to do that kind of thing. And it's unfortunate nowadays that you know lunch people don't have that kind of Open freedom to make what they want, and we had great cooks, so we were really fortunate in Louisiana. That's such a Louisiana story. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Really appreciate your call.、Uh, let's bring one more caller in here, Tova in San Jose. You're on the air. Hi, I just wanted to make a comment about kids participating in making their lunches. I made my lunches lunches for my daughter. I'm a single parent. Most Like up until first grade, and then in first grade, I had her make hers and my lunch one day a week, and four days a week I made hers. And then in second grade, two days a week, and so on. And in fifth grade, she started making all her own lunches, and she would go with me to the grocery store to buy what she wanted to put in it. It helped her learn about what healthy lunches look like, and she would put little notes in my lunch, and I would put notes in her lunch. And so it was a really good way to get her involved in making the lunches as well. I don't think it all has to be on the parent. I love that little notes that would that would make my day to see a note from my daughter. Again,、uh, we're talking about how to pack a better school lunch. We're joined by Luke Sai. He's a food editor with KQED Arts and Culture. Nami Chen. She's founder and CEO. Just One Cookbook, a website and video series focused on Japanese cooking. And Monique Febes. She's chef and owner of Tarts de Febes.、Uh, we want to hear from you. What are your best tips for assembling a school lunch? What will your kid want to eat? What are some foods you feel good about putting in their school? School lunch? Do you do it at room temperature? Have you tried the decorative approach that we're seeing as all the rage on social media? Give us a call now at eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. Again, that's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. Or you can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed dot org, or find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at kqed forum. Again, I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more forum just after this break. We'll be right back with great ideas. You will not dread. Packing your kids' lunch tomorrow. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera *Innocence* takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariaho's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of *Innocence*, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Alexis Madrigal. And we're doing our latest installment of All You Can Eat. That's our regular food series on the Bay Area's food cultures. And we're joined by Luke Sai. He's our food editor. He's with us when we do this one. Thank you so much, Luke. And we're joined by Nami Chen. She's founder and CEO of Just One Cookbook, a website and video series focused on Japanese cooking. And Monique Fabes. She's chef and owner of Tarts de Fabes. And we want to hear from you. What are your best tips for assembling a good school lunch? What do you put Put in there that your kids will really eat. Do you cut it up and make it really beautiful? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Alexis writes, my mom was busy working and my dad traveled a lot. So she often ended up giving us our lunches in see-through plastic bags as if we were going through a TSA checkpoint. <laughs> though this was long before those existed. It was so embarrassing, especially since our lunches tended to suck. So many jack cheese and mustard sandwiches, which I loved, but still, one kid can only eat so many cheese sandwiches. When I think about how much effort we put into our kids' lunches now, it's probably precisely because of those terrible lunches. (laughs) What do you think, Luke? Is that why we're putting more effort into our kids' lunches? I think it's because there's more pressure to be nutritious. That just wasn't in the cultural realm when I was growing up. My mom was like, eat, that's good enough. Yeah, I think um, I think there is more pressure to be health conscious. Um, and I also do think um, it's like what I was talking about earlier. Like there is this um, pressure um, just around parenting in general now. Um, I feel like we are in the social media era, you know, the Facebook era, the Instagram era, you know, people are just sort of sharing so much more. And I think with sharing, um, sometimes comes judgment. <laughs> um, and so I think um, I think part of it is like w- we want to feed our kids well. And I think there is like a certain thing in the back of our mind where we don't want like other parents to see like what our kids are eating for lunch and think badly of it, you know? And so um, I do think like it, it, it could feel very raw um, in that way. Um, but, you know, like, like, in general, like I love uh, the, what the caller said before about having kids pack their own lunch also, you know, I, so my eldest daughter is um, in seventh grade now and probably for the past year or two, um, she just packs her own lunch every day. And I think there is like a certain release of control that you have when you do that, you know, because like I don't even know really what she's packing, <laughs> you know, and so like. Um, you know, I have some general sense. A lot of times it's also just based on leftovers that we have. Um, but you know, like the reality is that so many kids, like I ask my kids, like, what do kids bring for school? And like they're just like everybody just brings like a bag of chips. Like people are just like like so many kids are just eating straight up like just junk food, like nothing but junk food. Um, so I feel like um like whatever they can bring that they're willing to eat is probably like a good thing, you know? So I just feel like there doesn't need to be so much pressure that it needs to be perfect or that it needs to like have like every, you know, sort of nutrient that we want them to have. 
you know, like I think if they bring it to school and they eat it and they're satisfied um, and it's not like straight up candy, you know, I, I feel like it's like a step in, in a positive direction. You're making a lot of people feel good in that little preach there, Luke. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and we have a listener who's sort of, you know, really kind of. Uh, encourages kids to pack their own lunches. Adriana writes, my daughter's school very strongly encourages, even expects the children to pack their own lunches from the earliest ages. Obviously, this does require some supervision. My kid has been known to pack a strawberry and a leaf lettuce sandwich. (laughs) But once you've settled into mutually acceptable choices available to them, it's pretty great for them to do. Most or all of the work of selecting and packing every day. Another listener writes on Twitter, my mom's go-to when she has, there's nothing else in the house was egg salad sandwiches. That was my yeah. mom's go-to as well. Monique, Monique, go ahead. Yeah, that's delicious. I, I want to add on uh, something to what Luke said. I mean, yes, there is a reality, right? Um, what we're faced with, you really have to focus on what they like as well. For example, um, my son's, one of my son's best friends, they're six and he won't eat anything unless it's cheese, right? So he only wants cheese. So I asked Louie, which is my son, like, what did what did he eat for lunch today? And he's like, he only eats cheese, but they're packing him like, you know, like better cheese. It's not just like processed, horrible shredded mozzarella or something like that. It's like he's eating cowgirl creamery or like farmstead cheese where it's like aged 18 months. So, you know, there there is that perception where kids, you know, only eat certain things and they can be picky. But I think there's there are ways to work around that. Right. You know, like we are lucky in this age to have access to great grocery stores like Berkeley Bowl or, you know, even like uh, Whole Foods or organic uh, food sections in whichever grocery stores. That's really important um, in this day and age. Those are great, but those are all very expensive places to shop as well. Totally. So do, you, do you have any recommendations for, you know, folks who are, you know, on a tighter budget? Yeah, I would go to Berkeley Bowl. I mean, Berkeley Bowl, I feel like the qualities there, the um, the financing there as well is great there as well. I mean, it's like Whole Foods times 10 for me just because of the variety and the pricing and because of who they work with. They work directly with farmers. And so they are not compromising on quality and they're not compromising on their price as well. So it's great. For those in, in other parts of uh, the Bay Area, Berkeley Bowl is a, is a beautiful grocery store and, and has very good financial options in the East Bay. Let's bring in another caller, Catherine in San Francisco. You're on the air. Hey, how's it going? Good. What, what, what are you doing with your kids' lunch? So um, we combated picky eating, and I found the Bento Box to be so helpful because, you know, it was a two fold situation. One fold is that they have really short lunches at school. And so I would pack him these, you know, huge portions and I cut the portions in half. And so once I did that, I started coming home with the empty lunchbox. Um, And then in one of the little containers, I would start putting in new food. Um, And some days he would eat it and some days he wouldn't. And then as kind of the school, as the school year progressed, we noticed that the, you know, we just had tried a little new food and we kept trying it. Then eventually he would try it and he would eat it, and then it would become part of his lunch. And did, would you do it more than once? So if they didn't eat it one time, would you give up or would you put it back in? Oh, I would do it more than once. So, so it's like uh, baby carrots was like a great example. Like I said, we really had to combat some picky eating. And so it was just like those little baby carrots, 
that, you know, they fill in the bag and we would put like two in and then it would come home, two in, come home, two in. And then half would come back. You know, we'd have a half eaten carrot. And now they're part of his lunch every day. And then also like, you know, with the um, comment about the cheese, like he would eat pasta with Parmesan cheese, but we would buy like the nicer Parmesan cheese that had like a little bit more flavor. Um, And then... Um, eventually we put together a menu for him saying, okay, you can have pasta for these four days, but one day we're going to try something different and it's going to be like a quesadilla or a sandwich. Um, and so just like the little bits over time, I know it can be really discouraging to come home after you pick up your kid and they have like an entirely full lunchbox and you're like, what did you even eat? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, just trying to make the little bit by bit can be super effective. And those bento boxes, because they're sectioned off and, you know, the the food's not touching and, um, you know, they're able to kind of visually see everything. And I think it was really helpful for us. Thank you so much, Catherine. A listener writes, I have an eight-year-old and worked at a K-8. And even, and if you pack a wonderful lunch, kiddos will still trade for more desirable items. My kid loves to teach friends about fun, interesting things in his lunchbox. Lychees, passion fruits are some of his recent eat and tells. And I pack him extra. He is a third Colombian and a half Mexican growing up. Uh, so he loves tahine on everything. That's that spicy kind of salt or light, lightly chili salt thing that uh, you uh, get on pineapple and uh, watermelon on the side of the street. My, my daughter, my daughter's half Mexican as well. So we do tahine on a lot of fruits and she she does love it. Let's bring another caller into the conversation. Uh, Sarah in San Jose, you're on the air. Hi, um, I'm calling because uh, so my daughter is in a daycare um, and I will never stop talking about how awesome this daycare is. Um, it's a nonprofit that um, where I think almost up to two thirds of the students are low income. So they have a sliding fee schedule, which makes it more affordable. But more importantly, they serve two full meals a day, breakfast and lunch and one snack. And they have an agreement with WIC as part of it. So they have to meet certain nutritional requirements. um, And as a result, we are not allowed to bring food on campus. But my daughter's eating, they've got a great lady that makes everything in-house, and my daughter's eating things like Lomo Saltado for lunch and waffles and uh, apple muffins for snack and, um, you know, pizza and macaroni and cheese. Oh, we lost you, Sarah. Sorry about that. Lunch menu. Sarah, we're losing your connection, but that's uh, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much for calling, uh, Nami. What suggestions do you have? Uh, maybe maybe additions that could be added to a lunch to to encourage either nutrition or just to get kids to eat their lunch. What can parents put in in those bento boxes to kind of make it a really wonderful experience? I usually focus on the visual a lot, so that when the kids open the lunchbox, it's colorful and something like look forward to eating. So I would add like vegetables or some kind of um, colorful food. Like it can be very easy, blanch broccoli, cherry tomatoes, something to um, kind of encourage them to feel like, oh, that, that look forward to eating. And um, I use it as a feeder so that food doesn't move around or um, it's kind of look really nicely packed beautiful and, uh, yeah also i use like a food picks that that has a character like a lot of there are so many 
bento accessories now, like a colorful silicone cups and dividers or vegetable cutter. And so I utilize those to make it more presentable a little bit. Luke, you want to talk about spices. Tell us. Yeah, I just, um, um, you know, you, you had mentioned tahine earlier. Um, the earlier caller was talking about um, baby carrots. Um, and I just think um, there are a lot of things that can be made much more appealing, you know, because a, lo- a lot of these things are like sort of a little bit bland uh, by their nature. Um, and so I think there's a lot that you can do with uh, condiments or seasoning or dips, you know, so like thinking about like putting in some hummus um, or putting in some, you know, tomb, which is like the, the, the very wonderful, like um, Arabic, like garlic sauce. Um, you know, I, I happen, my youngest daughter is like sort of like allergic to sauce. Like she just like, she won't even eat things that have like ketchup on them. Like she's just like, she's in a phase right now where she doesn't want any, any sauce, you know, so that's a little challenging. Um, but in general, I feel like that's, and I'm, I'm curious if, if, um, Monique, um, or Nami, um, have any insights on that in terms of like things that you can dip things into um, that can be good to to make um, the lunch more flavorful and more interesting. Monique? Yeah, um, that just brings me to the memory of just packing a taco, right? Uh, for, for my son, ramekins are really important for us just because for a taco, right? I'll just pack them the tortillas and, and the meat itself. And then I usually pack him some ramekins of different sauces or dips that he can uh, put on it. So I guess that kind of gives him control and some um, excitement during his 20 minutes or 30 minutes of lunch. It it just it makes it much more fun for him. And I think that it just gives him a sense of palate as well, like what learning what he likes and the quality he likes. This is just a reminder to our listeners, we are in a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Leslie McClurg. Thank you all so much for your support. Let's go to another caller, Lynn in Walnut Creek. You're on the air. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, great. So um, my kids are grown now, but when they were little, um, my biggest thing was never to make a deal about food. Never make a big deal about it at all. I never said, you should eat this, you should eat that. I just put stuff in front of them. They didn't like it, they didn't eat it, and I didn't say anything. So when they were little, I was giving them things like strips of red pepper and cauliflower and carrots, and they'd sit and watch TV and eat all that. But then as they got older and went to school, I would pack sandwiches and have things like cream cheese and sprouts and cucumbers and tomatoes. I found out years later that they were trading those or throwing them out and eating ham and bologna that their friends had brought to school. Ouch. (laughs) And then... And then at my house, I would make homemade treats, but they would go to the neighbors after school. And I found out years later, they were eating Twinkies and Ho-Hos <laughs> behind my back. Never said anything. Anyway, because they didn't find out, so they were grown up. Of course. Anyhow, the funny thing about all of it is they're both, they're both vegans now, and they don't eat any dairy, no meat, nothing. They're the healthiest two eaters I've ever met in my life, and their families, too. Okay, Lynn, so so what do you credit right that to? Do you not making a big fuss about it. I was going to say, okay, so not making a big making a big fuss about food. Yeah, I think you can make really picky eaters. I think you can cause eating problems when you say to kids, you have to eat this, you should eat that. Put it out there. If they say I don't like it, say it's okay. You don't have to eat it, but there isn't anything. 
That kind of reminds me, so I'm a really clean person, and I've always wondered if that's because my mom cleaned my room growing up. All the parents hated her for doing it because I didn't have to clean my own room, but now I think I got used to it. So maybe you set the stage, Lynn, with those with those sprout sandwiches, and <laughs> that's why they're, they're vegans today. Thank you so much for calling. There's something to be said, too, about um, that you were providing them with food that had high trade value. (laughs) That's very important. I mean, like, that's one of my biggest memories is trading food. I love trading food. They're like, hey, what's in your lunchbox, Monique? And I'm like, some rice. You want some? Like, I'll I'll trade you for your Lunchables, I guess. (laughs) You know, just just kids want what they can't have at home sometimes. And and so... um, Again, the cultural backgrounds of everyone um, at school really, really teach you about food in general, too. Well, Beth writes, I highly recommend the book by Pamela Druckerman, French Children Don't Throw Food. As soon as our kids could eat solids, they ate the same foods as we adults ate. Like French parents, we have never catered to them, but we have always had them help prepare meals, which I think is key. And a listener, another listener writes, I grew up in San Antonio. I have yet to meet anyone who grew up there that didn't love the enchiladas and chili gravy that was served every Wednesday. (laughs) Fridays were fish, a hangover from pre-Vatican two days. By the time I was in high school and eating with the other drama kids on the stage, I would have a peanut butter sandwich, an orange, and a root beer from the vending machine near the snack bar. That brings me to drinks. Uh, Nami, what do you think about packing drinks in, in a lunch? Uh, I usually pack water or Japanese drink mugicha, which is like a barley tea. Um, it's a non-caffeine tea, so I switch around and uh, I usually don't pack juice and stuff. Just water or the barley tea. Maybe we can sneak in one final call. Jennifer from West Marin, you're on the air. Hi there. I just want to put a big plug in. I'm of Italian descent, but pesto. I make pesto pasta once a week and make a ton extra. My daughter loves it. I use it as a spread on her sandwiches. She likes to dip pita chips into it. Um, and I get like three or four uses out of it that week for her lunches, and it makes it easy, and she loves it. But I also, in my recipe, I sneak some um, sautéed zucchini in there, so I know that she's getting something. Oh, that's green. a great idea. So Awesome idea. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Well, thank you all so much for joining us, especially to our listeners for their great ideas and all the comments. For our latest installment of All You Can Eat, our regular series about the Bay Area's food cultures uh, with KQED food editor Luke Tsai, we've been talking about how to pack a better school lunch. And I know I feel a lot better about what I'm going to put in my daughter's lunch tomorrow. I hope you all feel the same. Luke Tsai is a food editor with KQED Arts and Culture. Nami Chen is founder and CEO of Just One Cookbook a website and a video series focused on Japanese cooking, and Monique Febes, she's chef and owner of Tarts de Febes. Thank you all so much for joining us. Again, I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for the next hour of Forum with Mina Kim when we'll talk about Senator Feinstein's legacy and we will hear your reflections on the senator. Thank you again. Have a great day. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.